Bart, yeah, come on up. Uh, so uh, today we have the pleasure of hearing from Bart Mosman preach today. Um, Bart is married, has four kids. Um, also, uh, if you do see Carrie around, please congratulate her. Carrie is our new parish administrator here at Restoration. We're incredibly thrilled about that. Uh, we're also thrilled to hear you preach and open up the word for us this morning. Um, may I pray for you? Please. Oh, Lord Christ, uh, we ask that you would speak through your servant, Bart, Lord. Um, We thank you, Lord, for your living word that penetrates our hearts, that um, convicts us and encourages us. Uh, So move again today, Lord. Uh, We want to hear from you through your servant. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank Thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you. Carrie will be here for the second service. We have two teenage boys at home, and so rarely will we be at the 9 o'clock service. So... It's good to get a chance to open the scriptures with you again. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice, I, I was singing too loud on those opening songs, which were fantastic, by the way. Um, so hopefully that will settle in. We have some, uh, some very interesting and, uh, and challenging texts for us today. There was one also that's in the lectionary that was not read, but it's 2 Timothy 1, I think it's 1 through 12, the, the uh, beginning of Paul's letter to Timothy, which fits in with this theme uh, perfectly. Um, So I'll reference that one a little bit, too. If you want to have a finger in that in your Bible, that's fine as well. And I'm also warning you, uh, in honor of the marathon today, I'm going to have a really long intro to this sermon, and then hopefully concise points uh, that I'll flesh out, and then a very micro conclusion. So just as as you're listening, you're like, he is still in the intro. I know it's planned. We'll get there eventually. So I just wanted you to be aware of that. I was listening to a podcast uh, driving around the other day of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I don't know if there are any Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me fans out there, but at the end they have the lightning fill in the blank. And one of the questions on the lightning fill in the blank was this. The American Medical Association now recommends that all American adults get regularly screened for blank. Anybody know what it was? Anxiety. Anxiety. That's right. I don't know how that strikes you, but my response to hearing that was, duh. I mean, I hate to say that, but that was my response. Like, yeah, look at your scroll, talk to your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, lift up your eyes and look around. There are plenty of things that can make us anxious and feed our anxiety. And glory to God, he knows, and that is the common theme of our readings for this morning. If you listen to Habakkuk, or you're familiar, and I think in, in uh, British they say Habakkuk, maybe, um, that's, I think that's kind of fun to say, but that's just bonus material. I'll stick with Habakkuk, because that's what I grew up with, but Habakkuk is a very interesting book, because um, if you notice, it says the oracle that Habakkuk saw, and so from the get-go, this is what God gave him, his questions to God, and then the responses he gets were all given to him. So Habakkuk says to God, hey God... Like, I'm looking at all this injustice and all this wickedness in your people, Israel. Like, what is going on? Why are you making me look at this? And then God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to send the Chaldeans to judge your people. You know those awful, wicked people that just steamroll everything? Don't worry, they're coming. And Habakkuk is like, interesting. Um, So that's what we're doing, right? So anxiety, lots of questions, lots of things to worry about in Habakkuk. And Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, hey, you know what? I'm in prison, and we suffer if we serve Jesus. Like, that's the opening 12 verses. Like, that's what's going on in the world that we live in. 
in, um, and in, in Luke, uh, it's sort of, we, we get this increase our faith is where we started that passage. But right before that, let me read to you verses 1 through 4. So you get kind of where they're at. Luke 17, 1 through 4. He said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So like if you cause somebody else to sin, that's big trouble. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Okay, so now you also have to hold each other accountable for the sins in your own life. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you even seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So Jesus is talking about the way that we have to care for each other, not lead each other into temptation, rebuke each other's sins, forgive over and over and over again. The same person coming like, and they're like, what? Talk about things to produce anxiety. And then there's Psalm 37, which is what we'll focus on today when I'm done with this long introduction. Um, It starts out with fret not. (laughs) Isn't that great? Hey, just don't worry. Fret not. Just that's it. Fret not. But that's. That's the, that's the theme of the psalm. And it says, because of evildoers and wrongdoers, that's what it, they're there and you see them. But it's not just their existence. It's the fact that they seem to flourish, right? If you look at the verses in Psalm 37, verse 7 and verse 16, talk about they, they seem to have plenty. You know, well, we suffer. And, and they seem to flourish at the expense of the vulnerable and the upright, verses 12 and 14. Do you see that theme of anxiety-producing things in these texts? And do you feel that theme in your own life? What, what's causing you to worry this morning? What is bringing you to the point of anxiety? What's stressing out you this morning? I'll give you a second to think about it, but I don't think it will take you very long to arrive at a place. As Pastor Rick said last week, I think I'm quoting you properly. We here at Restoration believe that the scriptures are absolutely relevant to our lives today. Um, and I think we get from looking at these texts that, that there are present-day examples of what Habakkuk, what the disciples, what Timothy, uh, what the psalm is talking about. But Rick also said that Restoration is a church that's named Restoration partly because we want to restore and be restored by the ancient wisdom. So, does it help us with anxiety? How does it help us with our anxiety? So if the common problem in these texts is anxiety and things to worry about, the common theme of solution is faith. I don't know if you heard that. Luke 17, 5, their question, increase our faith. Help us to believe. We didn't read it, but 2 Timothy 2, before Paul says, yeah, I'm in prison and all this is going on. He says, I see the faith in you. It was in your parent or your mother and your grandmother, and now it's in you. Fan that into flame because I'm in prison there are hard things that are coming. Faith is what you need. In Habakkuk 2.4, the end of what was read by Marianne, the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, that's quoted a lot in the New Testament, lots of different contexts, but we have to remember where it originally came from. Habakkuk going, what are you doing? And God saying, the righteous will live by his faith. And so now you're saying, oh, jeesh. Here we go with the Christian mumbo-jumbo. Just believe. Just pretend it's all fine. Close your eyes. Cover your ears and say everything's going to be okay. Nope, that's not what we're doing this morning. Okay, that is not what what we're doing because that's not what the Bible does. First of all, we have to remember it's the Bible that is putting these stressors in our mind. If the solution was to pretend they didn't exist, the Bible wouldn't bring them up again for us to think about. Um, 
The Bible brings them up because these things are real, they're hard, and they are a threat to our perseverance as followers of Jesus. And so it's going to say, these things will happen, and we're going to help you. God says, I'm going to help you deal with them by faith. All right? So what they are doing is they are showing us faith in action in the face of anxiety because it's very important for us to remember faith is not a one-time assent to a set of propositions. Like, oh, I believed that, you know, 17 years ago or whatever it was, and I'm done with that thing. Faith is not a one-time assent to a set of propositions, but faith is an ongoing series of choices in the face of all sorts of challenges to live as if those propositions are true. Let me say that one more time. Faith is not a one-time assent to a set of propositions, but faith is an ongoing series of choices in the face of all sorts of challenges and visuals that suggest otherwise to live as if those propositions are true. And what that often means, as these passages demonstrate, is that faith chooses where to look. As we're confronted with all these visuals, all these realities that produce anxiety, faith chooses where to look and therefore chooses what will shape our emotions and will shape the behaviors that we have in the world. So I'm going to focus on on Psalm 37 and how that takes us through sort of this active faith dealing with our anxiety. But I think you can see how these things that are talked about in Psalm 37 are also seen in the other texts. And I'll try to show you a little bit without taking too much time to do that. Now, as we look at Psalm 37, uh, remember that the Psalms are given to us for corporate worship. And so in the Psalms, we have God putting on our lips for us to say the kinds of things that he wants to hear from his people as we come to him in worship. So sometimes you read a Psalm and it's like, I know exactly how that feels. Sometimes you read a Psalm and you're like, what would it be like? What would I have to think or do to be able to say that with integrity to God? And so, so as we put them on our lips and we sort of do it over and over again, they have a shaping effect on us. So that's what we want to think about with Psalm 37. As we would put that on our lips in the midst of anxiety, what would it do? What, would, what are the themes it would continually confront us with? And how would it shape us to exercise faith in the face of our anxiety? So let's look at Psalm 37 first. As you had it, had it read, and let me remind you, can you see that it is overtly addressing this anxiety issue? It starts right out with that, verse 1, fret not because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. And in the first eight verses, three times it says fret not, verse 1, verse 7, verse 8. So it's, it's, it's putting on our lips, hey, there are things that you're going to want to fret about, fret not. Let's deal with this anxiety, this temptation to anxiety because opportunities to fret are real and God knows it. Second, the thing you need to know about Psalm 37 is that it's, it's what's called an acrostic psalm. So all these different kinds of psalms, and there are a number of them that are acrostic psalm, which means that each, depending on the psalm, each verse or stanza starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet going through. Uh, so it's sort of like, remember the song, A, You're Adorable? You guys know this song? A, You're Adorable. B, You're So Beautiful. C, You're a Cutie Full of Charms. D, You're a Darling. And E, You're Exciting. And F, You're a Feather in My Arms. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> But basically, that's a, that's a song that goes through the alphabet, and it reflects on a theme, the theme in this case being you, the person that I adore. So that's what the acrostic psalms do as well. They have a theme or a topic, and then using the Hebrew alphabet, they just reflect on that theme. So the, the order is dominated by the word that starts with the next letter of the alphabet, more than by like logic or like a story. So they're a little different type of psalm. What you have to do is you read through it, and you recognize the, the themes that leap out of it. 
Okay? So that's what, as we read through Psalm 37, the first 17 verses, but then again, if you read the whole thing, I think you see, see three themes that jump out. And those are the things that I want us to look at this morning. So now we're done with the intro, and we're moving into that concise body that I promised. So hopefully, you're like, hopefully you will be concise. So the three themes are that in the face of anxiety, faith chooses where it looks. It looks ahead, it looks up, and it looks down. Okay? Faith in the face of anxiety looks ahead, it looks up, and it looks down. So let, let me show you those in the psalm. First of all, it looks ahead. It looks ahead to a final reckoning. Another way to think about it is, is that faith looks ahead at the whole story. It looks where things are going, not just at a moment, a snapshot in time, but faith looks, takes the whole thing into account and particularly looks to the end of the story. So you see that in the psalm in a number of verses. Verse 2 uh, it says, for they will fade like the grass. It will soon pass away. Verses 9 uh, and, uh, through 11. Man, my text is getting smaller. Rick, you're getting near 40 this weekend. And so this text gets smaller and smaller every year. I have to wear my other glasses next time. <laughs> but, um, verses 9 through 11. For the evildoers shall be cut off. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land. The land, verse 9 through 11, verse 13, you see it again. The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Verses 14 and 15, the wicked draw the sword, bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their, their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, for the arm of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The psalm over and over again says, fret not, because look. Look ahead. There is a day coming. There is a final reckoning coming. Habakkuk does the same thing. It's this crazy thing where he's like, what about your people? And he's like, the Chaldeans are coming. And it's like, are you kidding me? The Chaldeans? He's like, their wickedness will not stand the coming of the kingdom of the Lord. Their wickedness will not stand the coming of the kingdom of the Lord. You have to look ahead. Yes, it's going to be crazy for a while. But you have to look ahead. Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy about Enduring suffering until that day. And in the ESV, they capitalize day because it's such a big day. That day, look ahead, the day of reckoning that is coming. The scriptures tell us there will be a final reckoning. Things will be set right by a just and loving God, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And in those moments of stress and anxiety and worry, we have to choose by faith to look ahead and say, okay, okay, Lord, I will trust you. Now, a couple quick things about this. Number one, the way to be on the right side of that day is not by your effort. It's not by trying really hard. It's not by being perfect. It's by understanding who the Lord of that day is, Jesus Christ, and by giving yourself to him by faith and to receive his grace, his atoning work. That's what puts you on the right side of his judgment on that day. So if you have not made that call, if you've not made that decision to trust this Jesus and his atoning work and know that you're safe on that judgment day, please talk to me, talk to Rick, talk to somebody around you in the pew. What does that mean? How do you, how do you know that you're safe on that judgment day? Because the Lord Jesus wants you to be safe on that judgment day. That's why he came in the first place. Second thing I have to say as we look to that judgment day is I don't understand all the decisions the Lord makes in the meantime. I don't understand the Chaldeans. I don't understand that. I don't understand the, peop the, the tragedy he prevents and the tragedy he allows. 
I don't understand that. And we're not given the means to understand that. And so those things are hard. Those things are very challenging to us. This idea of looking ahead and waiting to the end is easy to understand. And it's very hard to do. It is very hard to do. It takes discipline. It takes delayed gratification. And it takes a great imagination. Here's what I mean by that. Paul tells us in another place, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he says that this light momentary trial, okay, again, light momentary, he's saying that because of the comparison. Like the Corinthians are in some hard stuff. But he's saying this light momentary trial is earning for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And to believe that takes imagination. Because this stuff is really, really hard. How great will it be that Paul can say light and momentary about this stuff now? And so faith, faith presses into imagination to really believe that it will be worth it. Because we can't understand it all. And it's hard. So faith, to, to believe this, to exercise this faith requires great imagination. That's faith looking ahead. One last thing that you need to understand about this point is that Jesus gets it. Remember what it says in Hebrews 2 about Jesus? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He understands what it means to have to look ahead by faith to endure what's going on now. And he will help you do that. Second thing the psalm says is that faith looks up. It looks up at God. In the midst of the trials, rather than stare at them, we look up and we remember who our God is. And so you see that again in Psalm 37, especially in verses 3, 4, 5. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Now remember, when you see the Lord in the text, especially when it's written this way with the, the lowercase capitals after Lord, this is not a general term for Lord. So this is not saying delight in God, kind of generic. This is saying um, trust in Yahweh. Delight yourself in Yahweh. And that was the personal name by which God had revealed himself to Israel. The personal name by which he said, I am going to deliver you. And then he did deliver them. Right? So there's so much loaded into that name. So when the psalmist says, fret not, delight yourself in Yahweh. That's the one who delivered them. That's the one who's been gracious to them. That's the one who's been good to them and walked with them in all the circumstances that they've already been through. You know this God. You know what he's like. You know his character. Trust in him. And at at the end of what we read, verse 17, uh, it says, The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. He is with his people. Not only do we know his character, do we know his goodness, but he is with us. He is helping us in the midst of it all. I won't get into Timothy. He says that, but I want us to think about this Luke passage for a second and how this is shown in that that Luke passage. In verse 5, they say, increase our faith. And the Lord says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, "Be, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. That seems like a weird thing. It almost seems like a rebuke. Like, you of little faith. Like, if you just had a little bit of faith, you could do this. Get some faith. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you're, you, you schmucks, you don't have any faith. He's saying, what you need to understand, <laughs> my children, is it's not the size of your faith. If you had just the tiniest bit of faith, you could make random, like this mulberry bush could do what you said. Why? Because it's the object of your faith that matters. It's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. As you trust in me, you will able to be able to do the things that you're called to do. 
I will help you to do those things. And then he tells this crazy parable that, again, I, when I saw these texts, I'm like, I'm focusing on the psalm because I don't want to focus on that. <laughs> I'll let Rick handle that later. But I had to think about what, it, what does it have to do with these themes that are going on? And I think what Jesus is saying is let's not get confused about who is the master and who are the servants. Like that doesn't change. You don't get out of the role of servants. I am the master. I'm the one that you can always trust. So he doesn't get into his character, but the whole of Luke is telling us the wonderful character of this master to whom we can look in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our anxieties. When we are tempted to be anxious, it's not just a future we can look to, but a person that we can lean on, delighting in him, trusting in him, committing our way to him, praying to him. He will help us in the midst of these things. I love Romans 8, 31 and following for this reason. If God is for us, who can be against us, it says, right? But it begs the question, is God for us? Because look around, right? This is, there's a lot of stuff that makes us anxious. But verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then it goes through rehearsing the love of God for us in Christ that cannot be separated from us. That's what faith does. It, in the midst of the anxiety, it looks up. And it says, oh yeah, you're for me. You are for me. And I know you're for me. You've shown it. You've proven it. And nothing can separate me from your love. So I will trust you in the midst of these things. And by the way, Jesus gets that too. You remember in the garden, facing what he knew was coming? He's like, what? I'm going to, this is really the way? And he looks up, Father, not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. Right? In the midst of that trial, he looked up and he leaned into who we know his, his father to be, and he will help us to do the same. Lastly, look down, not in a negative head down way, but look down to the path that is before you. Look down to the way that you can and should walk in the midst of anxiety. And you see that in Psalm 37 again, uh, verse 3, uh, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Uh, I missed one. Befriend faithfulness also in verse 3. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. There's a type of way that we should live. Several references to the righteous and the upright, which are not absolute terms of perfection that earn your way in. It's the, it's the commitment of your heart. I'm going to walk in the Lord's ways. That's what the Old Testament means by righteous and upright. Not perfect, but those who are pursuing the Lord's way, trying to be faithful to him and following him. And then Luke, again, I think the point is understand who the master is and walk in his ways. You, you, don't, you don't earn anything special. You're just unworthy servants, but you're servants. So walk in the way of the master that you know to be a good and faithful master. Rather than fret, put your energy into fruitful activity, walking the path of goodness. And here's the thing that I think is fascinating in Psalm 37. Verse, look at verse 6. As we do this, it says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I think what the psalmist is saying is in the midst of this world that is overwhelmed by evil, the people of God committing themselves to doing good, God takes that and he makes it shine in the world to show the goodness of his kingdom, right? When we're faced by evil, we're faced by wickedness, part of what we get to do as his people is do good and show the world that there is a different way. Like we become part of the solution. We show that we're not crazy to believe these things by showing how beautiful these things are lived out in the world. 
It's not going to take it all away. It's not going to fix everything. But it's little glimmers, little parts. It's, it's a righteousness that shines in the midst of the darkness by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we, in the midst of those anxieties, look down and choose to walk in that good way. A friend of mine is a pastor in Seattle. His church works with the Yakima Indian tribe there. And they got a, a letter from uh, the, the leader of that tribe. And he said to this church, I am not a Christian. But the Christianity shared by Sacred Road and the teams that come to serve are bringing hope to my people for the first time. I love you, says this Indian leader to this church family. Because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rightness, a justice, a righteousness that's shining as it's lived out in the midst of so many anxiety-producing things. So this, this exercise of faith is not just a mental exercise. It's not just remembering this and looking this. It's doing those things so that our, our actions are consistent with that and make a difference in the world. And Jesus gets this too. Remember what he said on the cross as great evil was crashing down upon him? He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He was ministering the grace that he came to bring in that very moment as evil was crashing down upon him. Okay, here's my micro-conclusion. My brother-in-law, when I was first mountain biking, actually going on trails and stuff like that, he said to me, when you come across a rock or a root, something in the path that you don't want to hit and fall down because of, he said, don't look at it. Because if you look at it, you tend to steer towards the thing you look at. Look where you want to go, not at the thing that's getting in your way. I think that's what Psalm 37 is telling us. I think that's what the other passages, Luke, Luke 17 and uh, Habakkuk is telling us. There are these things that will cause anxiety. And in the face of those, don't look at those. They will cause you to stumble. Look up, look ahead, and look down and walk in that faithful way in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us to that end. Father, thank you that you understand what it's like to live in this world until you come and make all things new. And so the, the scriptures bring up these things that are real and hard, and they uh, help us to be able to walk our way through them in the power of the Spirit and with your word guiding us. So thank you for that, and I pray that you would help us by faith to choose where we look uh, and to walk accordingly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.